We're doing the morning announcements here. There's my niece, Avery. She is handing out hot dogs. I'm going to need about half a dozen hot dogs later, but you hold on to those for now, okay? So there's our food truck. We just got done with our family fun night. We had a great time. Gotta say this. Thank you so much to everyone who volunteered. You made that event possible. We had so many kids and families come out and join us. Really great time. Uh, human foosball was a blast. I always love getting to host that. Uh, my lifelong dream was being a sports commentator. My brilliant analysis of the team that can score the most points winning really, did, you know, it deserves an Emmy. But anyway, we need to give you some announcements uh, at church. Coming up August 5th, it's in a couple weeks, uh, is going to be our next newcomer's lunch. That's going to be after the 11 o'clock service. If you're new to the church and you've been coming for the last few weeks and you'd like to meet the staff, get to know us better, figure out what's going on, watch out for that small child there, uh, that's going to be a great opportunity to join us for that. Also coming up in August, August 16th, going to be our next jam night. Bring in the hat back. Bring your instrument, bring your voice. We're going to play some worship songs together. The chord charts are available on the app, so join us for that. Also coming up, August 25th is going to be another movie night. We're actually showing the movie Sound of Freedom, and I uh, heard really good things about that. That's probably going to be a ticketed movie, but the popcorn will be free. So that'll be August 25th here at the church. Don't want to miss it. Keep downloading those apps. We've got two amazing apps. Our main church app with the KVC Grape logo. Uh, that's going to have where you can watch church and uh, figure out what's going on here at church. There's always a lot of stuff going on. Then there's also our white background, black text KV church app. That's got the Vineyard Post group. Great place for online community. That's all my announcements. It's time to clean up. So, okay, everybody, let's get ready for church. Hey everybody online, welcome. Glad to have you with us. We're getting ready to hop back into our worship time and uh, we've had a great morning and looking forward to having some time with you. Then we're in our series, Sword Sharpening, part nine. We're looking at uh, from Exodus to Second Kings. We got a lot of ground to cover. So uh, get a Bible and uh, some coffee and get comfortable because here we go. Woo! Good morning, family. It is great to see all your faces and hear your voices. I see everyone's enjoying some coffee, so I'll try to keep it low-key vibe for a minute longer here. I'm going to tell you what we'll be attempting to do this morning. In case you don't know the flow yet, we're going to start things off with communion. Pastor Barry is going to lead us through that in just a moment. After communion, we'll have our time of worship, and then Pastor Georgina will come up and lead any kids who'd like to join her through a Bible verse. We will dismiss the kids off to their Sunday school classrooms, and then we'll have our time in the Word with Pastor Steve. We're in Sword Sharpening Part 9, and um, it's really interesting, fun stuff, and I'm looking forward to all of us diving in. Before we do any of that, let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you come? Papa, this morning, we are here for you. We're here to celebrate your greatness, to proclaim your faithfulness. you. 
but as we're here in your throne room this morning, help us to drop the baggage at the door, to settle fully in your presence so we can worship freely and unhindered. Help us to hear your voice well. Let your words change us so that we can love with your kind of love, Papa. Help us to draw closer to you. You are so good to us, Papa, and we love you. And we join with all the churches around the world where your gospel is preached with this collect. Lord of all power and might, the author and giver of all good things, graft in our hearts the love of your name. Increase in us true faith and devotion. Nourish us with all that is good. And by your great mercy, keep us faithful. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Pastor Barry. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. Saying, this is my body, which is for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he took the cup. It was the last supper, the Passover celebration. A cup of plagues and sanctification had already been poured and celebrated. Jesus took the third cup, which is the cup of redemption. He said, this is my blood poured out for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. There with his friends that night, Jesus gave us a lasting ordinance or remembrance that we call communion or the Lord's table or the Lord's supper. He said, from now on, when you get together and partake of this meal, I want you to remember me. So as his friends gathering this morning, we partake of this meal, the bread, the cup, the body and blood of the Lord. We want to remember and give thanks. We want to remember all that Jesus has said and done and promised to do. We want to remember his willingness to go to the cross on our behalf. We want to remember how he defeated death and rose again. And we want to remember with awe and thanksgiving that he's coming back for us soon. So this morning over here on the side of the sanctuary on this table are the elements of communion, the bread, the cup, the body and blood of the Lord. The table is open to all who believe. So as we worship in song and you feel led by the Spirit, please come and partake and remember and give thanks. Amen. And amen. Thank you, Pastor Barry. We're going to enter now into our time of worship together. And uh, I always try to encourage us all to sing out, lift your voices, participate as we praise the Lord here in this place today. We're going to see the, the words on the screen so you can sing along with those. Uh, you're welcome to sit, stand if you're able. Awake my soul and sing his praise.
We love you, Lord, and we are so, so thankful for this time of worship in your presence. And Father, as we're here in your presence, I'd ask that you'd be with us, God, as we prepare to study your word. Lord God, would you anoint the words that are spoken to us, that are taught to us. Use those words, God, to stir up our hearts towards you. And Holy Spirit, I'd ask that you be with those working with our children. God, anoint them. Give them everything that they need to show all the kids your wonderful love for them, oh God. You are so good, Lord. We love you and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. And Pastor Georgina, would you please come up and teach the children a Bible verse? Good morning, boys and girls. Hi. How are you all? Thumbs up. Oh, wow. So cool. Okay, be careful. Hi, everyone. Okay, I have a very important question. Raise your hand if you've ever lost something that was very important to you. Have you ever lost, like, your favorite toy or, like, a quarter you know, yeah, right? That's really hard, right? Do you remember how you felt? Yeah, you felt sad, right? And you were like, oh no, what am I going to do? And do you remember what you did? Right? When things are important to us and we lose it, what do we do? We search for it. We even ask people for help, right? And when we find it, we celebrate because we're excited and we're happy that we found this very precious thing to us, right? When today's Bible story from the Gospel of Luke we're going to find that something, some things were lost, and then they were found. You ready for the story? So Jesus was telling the religious leaders at that time through stories or parables. That's what they call them, parables or stories, to teach them about God's love, right? So he told them three stories. Number one story is, he said... If you have a hundred sheep and one of them wanders off, won't you leave the 99 sheep to go look for the one? And when you find it, find it, right? You tell your neighbors, you tell your friends, let's celebrate because I have found my lost sheep, right? Yes, well, he told them in the same way in heaven, there's so much joy, so much more joy for that one person, right, who says they're sorry for their sin and they come back to God than 99 good people who have nothing to be sorry about. It's a big deal. Story number two. You ready? Okay. If a woman has 10 silver coins, which were like treasures to her, right, and she loses one, won't she turn the lamp on? Won't she sweep her house? Won't she search for it until she finds it? And then she'll call her neighbors and friends and tell them, let's celebrate because I have found my lost coin, right? Yes. Third story. Jesus tells them there was a man that had two sons and the younger one said to his father, Give me the money that will be mine someday, right? And the father gives him the money. And guess what the son does? He goes far, far away to a different country. He spends all the money and he makes bad choices. 
I know, he has nothing left. And guess what? In that country, there was no more food. Can you believe that? So he was so hungry. Yeah, no more food. And he went, right, to work feeding the pigs. But he was always hungry that even their food looked good to him, right? So he came to his senses and he said, I am sorry for the wrong things that I've done. I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to ask him to, if I could just work for him, right? I'll just work for him. That's all. So on his way to his father's house, guess who sees him? His father sees him. His father runs to him. His father hugs him and kisses him. And as the son is trying to tell the father, Father, I am sorry. His father calls his servants and say, Bring the best clothes for my son. Let's celebrate with a big meal, right? And he tells them in Luke 15, 24, For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. And this teaches us, all these stories teaches us, that Jesus loves and looks for people who do not know him, right? Because he wants them to become part of his kingdom, guys. So are you part of God's kingdoms? Have you? Good. Good job, right? Excellent. Okay. So now we're ready to do the Bible verse together. Are you guys ready? You're going to help me out? Okay. So all of us together, repeat after me. Luke 15, 24. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Excellent work. Good job. The children are getting stickers because God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Then Pastor Georgina will pray for them and we'll send them off to Children's Church. All right, boys and girls, so now we get to talk to the Lord, right? So we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes. Ready? Okay, ready? Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this day, Lord God. We thank you for your amazing love, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that everyone will understand the great love that you have for them, Lord God. The great adventure that you're inviting them into, Lord God. Father, I pray that the little ones will understand that you want them to share the love of Jesus with everyone that they meet, Lord God. I pray that you will make room for that in their lives, Lord. I thank you for the kids in Jesus' name. What do we say? Amen. Amen. Excellent Amen. work. Have fun. Have fun in Children's Church. Learn well, listen well, and behave. That's a big deal. Some of the children seem a little excited this morning. So I always think about the children's workers at that point in time. That's for sure. Grace, yes. Lord. Peace, Lord. Strength, Lord. Yeah, yeah. yeah more. <laughs> Lots more. But what a blessing kids are. Cute. Cool stuff. Welcome to the vineyard. Welcome to those of you joining us online. Happy to have you with us today. 
as uh, we're going to continue to press into a series that we've been doing. I do want to say thank you real quick. Uh, we had our family fun night Wednesday. We had a blast. Lots of new people here. Kids had a good time. Thank you, volunteers, for uh, all of you who showed up. We appreciate that. And thank you, church, just for your generosity that lets us do those kind of events and do them for free and bless a community. And thank you, thank you, thank you. How many hot dogs? I think we went through 200 hot dogs. That's pretty good. So for a summer night, that's pretty good. And yeah. bags of chips and ice cream sandwiches. Nice. And they were having a good snow time cones? out there. Were there snow cones? Uh, I don't think... We couldn't do snow couldn't cones do last snow night. Cones. Sorry. Okay. But we did, I think they were at the beach yesterday in the truck, and I think they were oh, doing nice. snow cones. Those so, are my favorite. Very cool. Well, if you're a first-time guest or visitor, that code is for you. Point your smart device at it. You'll get a link to our Digital Connect card name, phone number, email. We'd love to have that. If you do that, you'll get texts and emails for four or five weeks, and then they taper off. But uh, that's a cool thing. We also have gifts for first-time guests back at guest services. If you didn't get one on your way in, stop by on your way out. Pick up a gift that's usually a coffee cup. It's a nice coffee cup. They're not coffee. I mean, who doesn't like a coffee cup? Well, unless you don't drink coffee. Then it's a pencil holder. A pencil holder, yes. I have a number of pencil holder coffee cups. (laughs) Uh, We pray for our neighbors when we gather. Uh, We do that to reinforce what I ask you to do every day. Please be praying for the people who are right around you where you live. Perhaps the most significant, impactful ministry all of us and any of us will ever engage in. So think about a couple of your neighbors and let's go to the Lord. Lord, we lift up our neighbors to you. We ask God that you would move in their lives in mighty, mighty ways. Draw those who don't know you into relationship with you and help us to be good neighbors, God, to love our neighbors well. Bring renewal, revival, and breakthrough to this area that hundreds and thousands of people will come to know you as their Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And amen. All right, we're continuing on in a series we're doing called Sword Sharpening. This is all about making the most of our time with the Bible, and my hope is that By the end of this series, if you're not already, you excited about some sort of daily time hanging out in the Word of God. But uh, if you're not there yet, hang with me. We got a lot of cool stuff and we'll keep covering it together. And uh, I got a lot I need to talk about today. So let's, uh, let's pop right into the jokes. And then you can pray for us and lead us in the reading of the Word and I can get going. What do dogs and phones have in common? Both have caller ID. But not every dog has. Well, they okay. should. All right, go ahead. I mean, yeah, most of these jokes I mean, if you could want be to get picked. Technical. They could be picked apart, yes. like all of them. Okay. Okay. <laughs> what do you call birds that stick together? This is a kind of a good one. Velcros. 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 <laughs> this is ridiculous. I got this one in under the sensor. Mm-hmm. What do you call a rude cow? Beef jerky. <laughs> yeah. Pray for us. Lead us in the reading of the Word. We'll get going. (sighs) I'm going to give it a shot. All right. Let's pray and read the Word together. Papa, we are so grateful to be here as a family, to worship you and to study your Word. Indeed, you are the God of miracles. You're the God that brings beauty from ashes. Lord, we are so thankful today as we study your Word together. Be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with me, please, for the reading of the word? The text today is out of the book of Exodus, chapter 3, beginning at verse 5. Do not come any closer, God said. 
Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. The home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Y'all can be seated. I told Alice she did a good job of reading all the names of the people that were in the promised land. And, uh, and just as a tip, she got it right, but just as a tip, if you're ever reading the Old Testament and you get some of those weird names, just act like you know how to pronounce it and no one will question you. That's, that's, but if you let on that you don't know, then they're like, ah, oh. so just power through, all right? Because there are not that many people like that really know how the Hebrew names ought to be pronounced anyway. And it might happen, but not very often. I was, tell, I was talking one time. Years ago, I was doing a, a series and a message, and I, in it, I was looking at some of the words in the Greek, which we do from time to time, and uh, and I, I I made a thing about you know how often do you have a Greek scholar in the room, and uh, guess who was in the room? <laughs> there was a Greek scholar in the room, and he came up afterwards. He said, "Oh, you did good," but I was like, "Oh, that got to be careful. You just never know. Make sure you have your best you can." But Read the Old Testament, you get to those names, just power through them like you know what you're doing. And there you go. We, uh, we're doing this series, and in this sort of subsection of the series, I, I felt like it was really important to, for us to take a look at the Bible, because so, it's, you know, it's a library book, so we did all that stuff, and it's, it's pretty significant. And I, I wanted to break it into some sections that you could remember sort of the highlights of. And then in the future, um, we can go back and cover those highlight points in depth. But that means that I'm moving through some stuff sometimes. And you just need to know that I, trust me, I want to go down every bunny trail and spend the next 50 years. I won't have 50. But the next number of years uh, going through it. But we'll get back to a lot of these things as we go. So I'm just encouraging you to try and remember the, the highlights from each sort of uh, section. And so when we started the, a few weeks ago uh, in this sort of subsection of the whole series, uh, we looked at, I called it Kingdom Revealed. And that's the first two chapters in Genesis. And I said, remember in Kingdom Revealed the, the idea of a cosmic temple, a place where uh, heaven and earth meet, the divine and the earthly realms meet, and that God has a heart for family and we have the human family, and we have his divine family, the Elohim. If you can remember those points, we can get back to it a lot, and we'll, we'll go jump back into creation all the time. That's the first part. And then, uh, we, we, then the next section was Genesis 3 through 11, and we talked about kingdom rebellion. 
And you, the three big rebellions that you need to remember are the, the fall, the flood, and the Tower of Babel. And that what is happening there is that some of these divine beings and all of the human beings tell God we can go at our own, we're going to do it ourselves, and we rebel in those three events. And there's ridiculous consequences that happen that we're still dealing with. And, and so that's the kingdom rebellion. God never gives up on us, though, and that's really good news. We're going to get back to that original plan by the time we get to the end. Um, but last week, we talked about uh, kingdom covenant. And I, I said that, uh, uh, you know, when we finished the Tower of Babel story, we had the nations uh, being sort of uh, divided, and that God keeps one nation for himself. And that nation is the nation of Israel, but it starts with Abraham, and then it's Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And those are the patriarchs. And if you can remember them, it gets you through all the rest of Genesis, which is Genesis 12 through Genesis 50. Uh, And today we're going to hop into the next section. We're going to pick it up there. And I'm going to call it Kingdom Foreshadowed. And we're going to start with the Exodus. And we're going to see how God moves that into um, the kings and how they're a picture of what's to come, but it's by far not a perfect picture. But it's foreshadowing where we're heading as all these things begin to take place. And, and so last week as we wrapped up Kingdom Covenant, uh, Joseph was the last of the patriarchs. He was getting ready to die. And uh, they were in Egypt, and he made a big deal of make sure you get my bones out of here because he knew God was going to be faithful to the covenant, and he was going to rescue his people out of that spot and take them to the promised land. So they were waiting for it. Well, we, we leave the people of Israel in Egypt. That's where they are last week. And uh, Egypt as a nation really is sort of a picture of everything that's gone wrong and the way it looks. Uh, it's, uh, it's the result of the fallen Elohim, if you would, uh, having been corrupted, and what they end up with is sort of pictured in Egypt. It's all about idolatry, uh, it's about injustice, slavery, giving into evil. That's where we're at. And so uh, as, as we, as we there in Egypt, the people of Israel going sort of from being honored with Joseph, uh, new pharaohs have come in and they've lost that place uh, in their eyes and they become slaves. They're enslaved and now they're just that to the pharaohs. They're just slaves, people who do work and make things happen for them. And God enters the story here uh, and what he does is he's going to come and rescue his people, uh, and he's going to partner with Moses. Moses uh, is in the descendant of Abraham, and you saw that in the scripture reading that Alice read. That's why it's one of those important to know things. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was how that was listed. He shows up, and what he wants to do is he wants to partner with Moses to rescue his people out of slavery and bondage in Egypt. That's the idea of the Exodus. Now, God could do these things supernaturally. He could just make them happen. But almost always in the Scripture, God partners with people to make things happen. It's how he wants to do things. That, you know, from the beginning, I said, remember initially our vocation, we were going to partner with God and make a difference on the planet, make the rest of the planet, which was good, but not like Eden, like Eden. That's just been God's heart. You read it over and over again. Could God do it other ways? He absolutely could. But God chooses to partner with people to make things happen. He did it then. Hey, did you ever consider when you were looking at the, the scripture how, you know, you think, well, God, you partner with people, but there's got to be better ways. Have you ever thought when you read about the first of the disciples that maybe there would be a better way to get the message out? Because those guys were kind of a mess, right? 
And then, then, then I, you know, kindly look around the room. This is what he's working with now. <laughs> God, there should be, you know, like I can think of like, anyway. Uh, God partners with messed up people to get things done. He always has. He always will because God loves us and that's his heart. So he's going to partner with Moses and uh, he shows up in the burning bush and he says, you need to go to Pharaoh and this is what you need to tell them. And Moses argues for a while, but eventually he's going to go. Now, I had really worked hard all this last couple of weeks figuring out how to give you four things about this huge section because, you know, it was two chapters and then it was uh, eight chapters and then it was 38 chapters or yeah, something like that. And now it's hundreds of chapters. And how do I get you to remember this? And so uh, I've prayed and prayed, and I have four things that I think are going to help, that you can remember this kingdom foreshadowed. Four things, and it's ten plagues, ten words, tabernacle, temple. And that takes us from the Exodus to Second Kings, all right? And I'm going to quickly kind of go through each one of those points and so that you can hang on to them. Because, again, if you can just hang on to these main points, the whole story is going to connect and open up for you. All right, so um, God tells Moses, go to Pharaoh. Uh, and Moses goes, and uh, this is how the ten plagues sort of starts. And he, the message is, let my people go. And so they show up and they tell Pharaoh, hey, let, let the people go. But Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. And, and Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you're stopping them from working. And that same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You're no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They're lazy. That is why they're crying out, let us go out and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Now, I, I tried to emphasize when I was speaking that a word that keeps showing up there is work, labor. And what you need to know is under the system that the little E Elohim have put in place, because they don't care about people at all, and Pharaoh is you know part of that whole system, um, all people are are commodities. They're just there to make work. They just do things. And in that case, they make bricks. And if you, if they get, you know, off track, they get, well, they're lazy. They're not doing it. And that's a big problem. So make it harder for them, but keep them focused. That's all they do. That's what they're all about. They're about work. That's what people are. They make stuff. They perform. And if they're not doing it, then that's going to be a big problem. That was what God is stepping into to rescue his people from. Because what God says is that's not what people were made for. You remember the whole heart of God was for family. People were made, were created to be engaged in relationship with Him. And the whole sort of picture that's being painted is God wants to take His people out of that mess and He wants to have a time with them, you know, in, in the desert. And Pharaoh's like, that's not what people are for and that's not what gods do. All that the gods care about, the false gods, is work. And no way is God going to take people out and throw a party for them. What kind of God do you have? Well, we've got the real God, and the real God cares about people. See, because to God, big G God, you are not a commodity. You're, you're a person with value and, and um, purpose, and he just wants to be in relationship with you. And that's significant that you get a hold of the problem. This is what God is stepping into to rescue people from slavery and bondage. And so there in the burning bush, God enters the scene, and he's saying, let my people go. My people have no rest. They need to have rest. 
And so you need to see the picture of what's taking place and how the, the, the false, you know, the false Elohim, the, the, those guys just care about people as a commodity and they don't see them the way God does. Uh, in, in just the value of relationships. So these ten plagues happen, and each one of the plagues is big G God demonstrating his supremeness over, I didn't know if that's even a word, over one of the false little G gods. Each plague is destined, is determined to show how God is actually more powerful than any of those gods. And uh, it leads up to the tenth one. The tenth one is a big deal. That's the one that's the death of the firstborn. And it's the one that eventually Pharaoh will relent and say, fine, get out of here. Um, but the death of the firstborn is where we get the idea of Passover from and the blood of the lamb that we sort of talked about last week and why a lamb is important. And what, would, what was to happen was that the, the, the firstborn was the plague, the death of the firstborn sons throughout the land. And the people of Israel were to take a lamb... They were taken into the home. They're home for a few days. So they'd get attached to it. So it wasn't like no big deal. And then they, they sacrificed this lamb. They took the blood of the lamb and they put it over their doorposts. And when the angel of death came, if it saw the blood of the lamb, it passed over that house. That's where all that comes from. And that connection with us is now when you know Jesus, you're covered in the blood of the lamb and the angel of death passes over you. Your eternal life has already begun. Okay, And that's the connecting picture there that we have. And so uh, as a result of that last plague and the, the consequences of it, finally Pharaoh says, get out of here and go. Now there's a whole lot of stuff that I need to talk about there, but I can't because we'll get back to it at some other point. But uh, cool stuff, but that's ten plagues. Ten words is next. So Moses gets the people out of there. Uh, yes, God, you know, they partner together and they go to Mount Sinai and at Mount Sinai, God's going to tell Moses, come on up, I need to talk to you. And he gives Moses ten words. I say ten words because we often think of them as ten commandments. That's what we call them. But in Hebrew, it's really better as words. And the reason I want to say that is the ten words were given not as a way to be rescued and delivered. It was given to a people who had been rescued and delivered. It was how people who had been rescued and delivered were supposed to be as God's family. It was just supposed to be the sort of the way, the order, uh, if you would, of how God's family works together. It's really all love document, the, the ten words. Love God all in, love your neighbor as yourself is how Jesus summarized it. That's what it looks like. And this is what he's communicating to his people through Moses. This is how I want my family to operate. This is what it should look like. It was never the way that you got saved. Back in the Old Testament, they didn't get saved by following the Ten Commandments. That's not how it worked. It's always been by faith. I said that last week. It's a faith in the promise of what God is going to do. That's what the, all the patriarchs demonstrated. Our faith is still the same in what has been done there at the cross and in the resurrection. But salvation is always by faith, never by works. Always, always, always. Get that. It makes a big deal in the story. Okay. So he gives them these ten words. Another quick connection to the ten words is when God ordered the universe, we looked at that, he spoke, you know how many times he spoke things into being? Ten times. And God said ten times. When God wants to order what family and his family should look like, he speaks ten times. This is how you do it. And those are the connections. And when he starts, I love this too, so God has Moses up 
on the mountain, and he makes this very, very important connection. He could have started a Moses, I'm the God of love. Moses, I'm the God existing in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Moses, I'm, I'm the God that created the heavens and the earth. He doesn't start it that way. This is what he does. God spoke all these words, Exodus 20. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's how he starts the ten word. These little G-gods that he's talking about, They don't care about you. You're just a commodity to them. Don't get them back in my place because what you do is become a commodity again and you end up being all about performance. And God's not like that. Aren't you glad that God just cares about you because of you and not about how well you perform? And if you slip into that deal where you try and perform to earn something from God, it's miserable because we're not very good at it. But in that other culture, everything is about performance. So he speaks these ten words and says, Remember, I'm the God that brought you out of Egypt. Don't go back to them because that's how you'll be. And that, if you think about it, that's what always happens. The moment we sort of get out of balance and we get someone or something in in the place of where God should be, it becomes about your work and performance almost immediately. And so he starts this by saying, don't, Don't let it happen. I'm the God that brought you out of Egypt. I'm different than any other Little G God you will ever encounter. I have a covenant with you that's based on relationship. That's the heart of God. And, and that's it. It's not about our production. It's none of those things. He just wants us to be involved in relationship with him. He's all about family. And, and so what God wants from you, catch this, is relationship. And the way I want you to remember that is God is not looking for your bricks. He's just looking for you. That's a big deal. Okay, little G-gods, they care about your bricks. God doesn't. He just cares about you, loving him. Okay, I'm, I'm going to take another five minutes. Sorry, but there's no way I can do it otherwise. Tabernacle. Tabernacle's a big deal, and we'll see it again as we get into the New Testament. Tabernacle and temple, both important. Tabernacle is, is the place God wants a place where heaven and earth meet. That's at the heart of God. That's a huge theme throughout the Bible. And we had that at Cosmic Temple in the beginning, and then because of the rebellion, we don't have it. But we have it coming back again. God says, I want you to build a tabernacle. It's going to be a big moving tent, pretty ornate. And when you build it, I'll come, and my presence will be there. And there will be a place on earth where there's a connection again, where heaven and earth connect. It won't be like it was, but it's going to be better than not having a connection at all. Exodus forty thirty four, And then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses couldn't enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And all of the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud didn't lift... They didn't set out until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. So this is kind of the culmination of the story from Genesis 1 to this point. Now there's a place where heaven and earth connect. It's a very significant deal. And the blessing of God is really exhibited by his manifest presence being... And they're pretty smart about it. If if the presence gets up and starts to go, they get up and follow it. (laughs) But if the presence is hanging out of God, that's where they're going to stay. And they do that. Interestingly, though, even with the visible presence of God in their midst, they still choose to do things that they shouldn't do over that course of time. And I often think about this because we'll make this connection a couple... We have Holy Spirit in us, God lives in us, and yet sometimes we still choose to do things that we shouldn't. Pretty fascinating, right? Anyway, always connected to what's going on. And uh, and so ultimately then, 
they're going to go, and under Joshua, they're going to move into the promised land, and they're supposed to go in there, and they're supposed to clear it out of anybody that doesn't worship the one true God, and they don't, and they become corrupt, and they become just like the nations that are already living there. So we have that situation. Last point is about temple. Now, in, in this time period, we start to get kings in Israel because the people want them. God knew about that they would want kings, even though he's their true king. And we, we start with some kings that aren't so great. You get, Saul, you get Saul first, who's not a good king. He looks good from the outside. He's a head taller than everybody else, but he's just not a good king. But after him comes David, who's a pretty good king. And uh, we read about David in the scripture as a man after God's own heart, and yet he always is doing, you're like, what? That's David? Why would he do that? But you sort of get it at the same time. And then we have Solomon, who has some good points, but lots of not great points. I often refer, and then from there, it gets terrible. But um, these kings, these earthly kings, are so not the king that we have coming. Uh, I like to think of them all as sort of a royal failure. You know, they, they do okay, but it's just not what it could be. But what they do in this time is build the temple. And uh, this is, David's heart is to build a temple for God, and he doesn't do it, Solomon actually does it. And when the temple is completed, the presence of God moves into the temple. But hang with me, there's this cool story. Second Samuel, last story, seven. After the king was settled in his palace, that's David, and the Lord had given him rest from his, all of his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in the tent. And he's not good with that. He has a beautiful palace, David does. He wants to build a place for God. So he asks Nathan about it. Nathan goes to God, and Nathan reports back the word to David. Second Samuel 7, 8. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from leading the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut all your enemies uh, from before you. Now I will make your name great like the names of the greatest men on earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. And so the the word is that... uh, God's not going to have David build him a house because David's got a lot of mess going on. Uh, and ultimately Solomon will build a house, a structure uh, for, for this whole thing. David, though, is fascinating. He does everything he can but build it. He gets every, all the materials. He spends the, the rest of his life assembling everything that's needed. He does everything but have it built. Solomon will build the temple. But there's an idea going on here in 2 Samuel 7 that's really important. There's this running theme of house and family. So, you know, you have a house, is, is sort of a place you live, but beyond that, you kind of, your home, your idea is that what's connected with it is the idea of family is, is connected in there. It's very important. Remember, I've always told you that God's heart is for family. And so Solomon will indeed build a temple, and uh, he prays, and the presence is filled, and I'm not going to read all this, but it's in your notes, and you can go there. I, I want to press on to the next thing, uh, uh, where we go, so I can close this down. But this is all good in First Kingdoms, uh, First Kings 8. But I want to pick up the story in Second Samuel 7, verse 12. That's where I left you, was in verse 11. When your days are over... And you rest with your ancestors. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. This is one of those really important things in the Bible that I like to think of as something that's hidden in plain sight. 
And why would something need to be hidden? Well, remember, we have a very real enemy who knows the Scripture. And if, if he could have figured out the plan of how God was going to reconcile everybody, he would have stopped it. He wouldn't have been so happy to get Jesus crucified the way he was, because he didn't see what was coming, coming. But you can watch him throughout, trying to knock out the lineage, because he knows that somehow the, the reconciliation is coming out of this lineage. He's constantly wiping out whole families of kings. He gets very close to getting them all, but he never does. But he doesn't understand this, because you can't understand this until what's happened at the cross and you look back. That word, I will raise up there, your offspring, is the same word that we have resurrection from. They just didn't have a clue what it meant. But they were being told what was going to happen. In the future, I will resurrect one of your offspring, and he, I will establish his kingdom. And he's talking about Jesus. And the, the whole idea of offspring is connected back into the covenant with Abraham in Genesis 15. And we know the good news from 1 Corinthians 15. For what I received I passed on to you as a first importance. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that one that I read you is one of them. And let me just finish these two verses. 2 Samuel 7, 13. He is the one who will build a house, a family for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Because it wasn't Solomon or any of the kings that came after him. It's Jesus. And I love this. I will be his father. He will be my son. The way this thing ties in together is so amazing. There are so many connections from the old to the new. And when you start to see them, it really begins to make the Bible come alive. So hang with me. I know we're covering a lot of ground. Uh, but but we're, we're four sections in. Four sections to go? Yeah. And they're, they're cool, right? So, so today, so what do you have to remember from this section? Like they all start with T. That was kind of on purpose, I think, right? Ten plagues. Ten words. Tabernacle. Temple. Got it? That gets you from Exodus to Second Kings. I'm done. Right there. Ministry team. Those of you here, why don't you head over to the wall? People on the way over there are here to pray for you. And if you need prayer for anything, they'll make sure you get it. We're talking about his story and how amazing it is. Let me say this, that he invites you into his story. And the way that you respond to the invitation is you say yes to Jesus. Jesus, will you be my Lord and my Savior? And, and it's very possible that you're in here today and you've never made that connection. And I want to say to you, please, it's the most important thing you will ever do. It's just a simple prayer of faith. You can do it right where you're at. It's just, Jesus, will you be my Lord and Savior? And that changes everything. It's the beginning of you and his story, which is the best story there will ever be. Amen. King David, a man after God's own heart, imperfect, and it wasn't that he fell or that he sinned or whatever you want to call call it. It's that his heart was sad. He recognized it and he repented. And so that's just really encouraging. And you had a tie-in with that. Well, it's again, it wasn't. It's not about performance. Right. With the beginning stage, when I, you know, said it's that's all the false gods care about is how well you perform. God just cares about ultimately your heart, and that's a good thing because. David did some good stuff and some really not good stuff. Yeah. And I'm always encouraged about Bible characters, the story guys that we read about, uh, all of them, because most of them do some stuff that you're like, hmm. Yeah. And it's good because otherwise we couldn't hang in there, right? Yeah. If everybody you read about in the Bible was perfect, you'd give up. I would anyway. I'm assuming you would too. Like, well, I can't do that. Yeah. But yeah, good. Doesn't want your bricks. Wants your heart. That's it. No bricks. 
<laughs> Ministry team's over there. Where am I? Thank you, church, for your generosity. We appreciate it. it. It lets us do so many cool things in the community and around the globe. Thank you for your faithfulness to giving, tithing, offering. We greatly appreciate it. Let's sing the doxology, and we'll get you out of here. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Amen. May the Lord bless and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May he be gracious to you and give you peace. Go today in the peace, the power, and the love of God. God bless you all. Thank you for being here. We'll get these doors open for you in just a moment. The ministry team will be over there if you need prayer for anything. Make sure you get it before you go. Uh, if you're on your way out, have a great day. And... Uh, Hope your team wins. Try and stay cool. And listen, there's a lot of stuff going on around us this week, which is good. I'm glad people are here having fun. But give them lots of room and lots of patience, okay? As they navigate the waters and boat trailers and all the other stuff. And just be smiley and happy and say yay and stay out of their way. Bye. Did I uh, switch a button? I did. God bless you guys. Have a great day and uh, more fun stuff coming next week. And we-